Welcome to Tigerpaw Radio, the podcast that tackles all the challenges and opportunities of channel convergence. If you provide managed IT, managed print, VoIP, security, or other technology-driven services for your customers, this podcast is for you. Tigerpaw Radio, exploring channel convergence one stripe at a time. I am so super excited by our guest today. Um, some of you may already know who he is, Jason Van Camp. He's the chairman at Mission 6.0 and also the executive director at Warrior Rising. He's an incredible person if you've seen him on LinkedIn or some of his other videos and the things that he's doing. And what really intrigued me about what Jason is doing is helping people to use discomfort uh, to be able to grow both their businesses and personally. So Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Wes. It's my honor to be here. Pleasure to be on Tiger Paw. Well, thank you very much. Uh, one of the things that we always like to do on uh, Tiger Paw is to make sure that you get to introduce yourself because nobody knows you better uh, than you do, right? So if you would uh, take a few minutes and introduce yourself to our audience. Okay, uh, I love how you asked that. I'm, I'm a guy from Washington, D.C., from Springfield, Virginia, that area. I'm the chairman of Mission 6.0, the executive director of Warrior Rising. I'm a husband and a father, and I strive to be a good dude. You know, just to be somebody who is, is caring, looks out for other people, puts other people before himself, tries to help out other people, whether or not you, you, you pay me. You know, I just want to be a good dude. Well, you clearly are being a good dude. And that's the other thing that really attracted my attention is that one of the things that you and Tiger Paw share in common, um, our primary charity is actually supporting an organization called Victory Apartments. It's really hard for us because our mission has been to basically help homeless veterans to have affordable housing to make sure that they're taken care of. And that mission is never done, but you know, truly the work that you're doing because you also have a military background uh, thank you for your service and what you continue to do for, you know, the veterans. I can talk about this because I did it. You know, I started my own business. I, I know how exciting and scary and, and fun it is to do that. I know it's, it's just so incredibly rewarding and and meaningful to uh, to create something, you know, and, and I want others to feel that same way. One of the things that you talk about and really intrigued me is this whole idea of of discomfort. And 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 maybe what I'll get you to do is kind of walk us through that. Um, you have a, a long-standing military history, and you obviously learned a lot of lessons uh, from that discomfort, which must have been a minor way of saying some of the, the lessons that you had to learn. Um, but what is discomfort, and why do you think businesses need to start embracing it? And I'll, before I get you to answer that, I'll say that, you know, 2020, I think for everyone, introduced us all to uh, discomfort, whether we liked it or not, right? So the particular channel that I work with, uh, the office equipment channel and the managed technology sector, um, they they saw so much change because people weren't working in offices anymore, right? So for those providing managed print, uh, basically people weren't in the offices printing, so their volumes went off a cliff. I mean, 70% of their businesses went away overnight. And for those in the managed technology world, they had to learn how to actually help people working out of remote offices um, as it became a normal thing, right? So certainly some discomfort there. So maybe you can you can talk to that. Uh, obviously you were talking about it long before the pandemic. So, you know, just give us some background. Why is it so important for business growth? Well, you see my, my book behind me on the shelf, sort of my, my background when I go on shows like this and the book is titled Delivered Discomfort, How U.S. Special Operations Forces Overcome Fear and Dare to Win by Getting Comfortable Being Uncomfortable. And I think 2020 was the perfect example of getting comfortable, being uncomfortable, doing things that we weren't prepared for, or things that we weren't ready for, you know, uh, for my business, you know, we did a lot of in-person events, you know, Oh, sure. 
keynotes, executive coaching, team building, workshops, all in person. And uh, when the pandemic hit, everything was canceled or postponed. I lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And and then some of my longtime clients were like, I don't know if we're going to be in business in two or three months. You know, yeah. scary time for everybody. We had to take our own advice as a company. You know, we had to figure it out and be resourceful. We could have closed up shop and used COVID as an excuse and just say, well, it's it's it wasn't fair. And, you know, it's just it is what it is. But we said, you know, let's get comfortable being uncomfortable. Let's figure out a solution. So we took our products and we turned them into a virtual product and we're making more money than than we did at any other year previously. You know, that's what we did to embrace discomfort and to grow because of it. Because, you know, when you really look at it, the times in your life when you've improved the most, you've grown the most, or the times when you faced your fears and you faced discomfort, when you've placed yourself voluntarily, deliberately, intentionally in uncomfortable positions so you could become better. You know, and I'm not saying that someone, when someone forces you to do that, sometimes you do grow because of that, but generally, you know, it's more traumatic than anything. We want you to choose for yourself because ultimately, you know, you got to choose hard things or hard things will choose you. Hard times are coming either way. You might as well be proactive and prepare for it. Yeah, it's interesting what you say. And for everyone that's watching, I will absolutely make sure that there is a link uh, to your book. Uh, in the description as well. So Deliberate Discomfort. Um, and I will certainly be getting a copy of that book myself. And, you know, I know what you speak to that this idea of um, necessity being the mother of invention, right? That it's those times in our lives when we have, you know, the hardest things happen um, that we actually uh, grow, right? And I know that uh, just speaking personally, uh, 2020 for me for the first six months was very difficult. Uh, my wife is also a retailer. So what she does for a living absolutely shut down with lockdowns and and everything else, right? Having our kids no longer being able to go to school and having to actually uh, work from home and figure out that whole dynamic and just the uncertainty of not knowing, you know, what was coming, right? And so I'll confess, it was it was very difficult for a time for us trying to adapt and adjust and 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 move towards that, right? And I think certainly uh, the one thing that businesses really don't like is uncertainty, right? So, you know, maybe you can just talk a little bit more about how they can actually use discomfort um, as an ally, not as a hindrance. Well, instead of being afraid of uncertainty, we teach folks, especially leaders, decision makers, how to thrive in uncertainty. So how to embrace it, how to embrace, you know, an ad hocracy culture, you know, and to to be adaptable, you know, and that's something that we learned in the US, United States Army Special Forces. And the guys on my team are Green Berets and Navy SEALs and and Rangers and Marines and Medal of Honor recipients and amputees and in addition to all these incredible military, I call them heroes. And I, and I don't think um, they would like to be called heroes, but I think that heroes don't get a vote, you know? Um, either they're your hero or they're not, and they have no choice in the matter. And I combine those guys with, um, with scientists, PhDs, researchers, experts. Uh -huh. um, and so we combine those two things together. That's sort of our secret sauce. That's, that's what we do differently than other people. That's how we differentiate ourselves. And combining those two together, you know, we can teach people not just how to lead, but how to command, you know, and commanders are the types that, that thrive, they embrace discomfort, they embrace the stuff, they thrive in uncertainty. They're the ones that, you know, when you're going through something tough, they say, you know, I, I wish it would suck more. 
you know, bring it on. <laughs> keep keep it coming because the more you give it to me, the tougher I'm getting, the smarter I'm getting, the better I'm getting, and so is my company and so are my people. Yeah, it's a really fascinating uh, difference to think of the difference between sort of standard leadership and commanding, right? And certainly when I think of, of commanding, um, I think of somebody that is setting an example of those thresholds for their people too, right? That they're saying, hey, look, there's nothing I would ask you to do that I wouldn't do myself, right? So let's embrace this and let's win, right? It's, it's, a, it's a hard thing to do sometimes. I know that for myself as a leader. Um, but when I do remind myself uh, that very thing, that you're not just uh, guiding people, that sometimes you do have to you do have to command, right? And when you think of the lessons that you learned yourself as a, a commander, are there any that come to mind that are that are useful for businesses that you could share today? Oh, for sure. I mean, everything we teach stems from our experiences in in the military and the special forces and the special operations forces as well. And so um, that's where the experiences come from. And we know that they work because we've proved them, you know, in our training in battle and combat, you know, and, um, and, and those high stakes life and death situations, you, you know what works and what doesn't pretty damn quickly, you know. And then once we got back to the States and we created this company, you know, the question is, well, why does that work? How does that work? You know, what's the theory behind it? And that's why the scientists come in and, and explain to us you know, this is why it works. It wasn't just, oh, I relied on my training or I don't know how I did it. I just did it. It's okay. This is the so what and the now what behind everything that we do and we say, you know, so, so back to your question, I think I'll, I'll just give three, three right off the bat, you know, uh, everything that you do or fail to do is your responsibility as a commander, mm -hmm. you know, your team's success or failure is completely on your shoulders. And that's a day one lesson in the special forces. So we're talking about accountability. Some people would call it ownership, you know, being responsible for other people's mistakes and, and, and making sure that that doesn't happen again. You know, that's number one goal, number one lesson, you know, uh, number two, I would say officers eat last, you know, and that's, mm. that's a, that's a lesson where it's like, Hey, you can't create the right culture until your people know that you care about them, you know, in order for them to buy into you, you have to buy into them first. And one of the ways that you can do that, a very simple way, at least in the military, is when it's time for chow, when it's time for food, you know, you typically get in a line. And, uh, and in other militaries and other countries, the officers always eat first, they get the best food. You know, and once they're done eating, then the NCOs and the enlisted guys can eat. And that's sort of to show them that they're not as important as the officers. But in the United States military, we make sure that we stress to our leaders that they eat last. And we let all of the NCOs and enlisted guys and all of your soldiers, all of your people eat first. And it's a small gesture to let them know that you care about them. You place their needs above your own. And then you eat at the end. Now, just, you know, there's so many examples that you can use to relate that to. It doesn't have to be just food. You know, you want to make sure that you understand your people's needs and concerns. You get them squared away and taken care of first, then you take care of yourself. And then third, it's an interesting one, but really what it comes down to with our organizations we work with are trust and communication. And so in the military, they tell you, trust your NCOs. And I lived by that adage throughout my military career until I got to the special forces when my commander told me, don't trust your NCOs. And NCOs oh. are non-commissioned officers or yeah. you know, your right-hand guys and so forth. And I was kind of shocked. I was like, well, um, 
you have to explain that to me, sir, because my whole life I've, I've lived by <laughs> that rule that you need to trust your NCOs. And he's like, well, let me ask you this, Jason, how has that worked out for you? And I thought back um, to my military career up to that point, and I was like, well, to be honest with you, it hasn't worked out that great. Well, why? Well, you know, there's, there's some guys that you can trust that are NCOs and some NCOs that you can't trust. He said, well, tell me a little bit more about that. I said, well, you know, like you go to combat and there are guys that you would, NCOs that are some of my best friends that we went and, you know, we're in a trench together. We're taking bolts together. This is the guy that you want by your side at all times. You know, this is the guy that has your back. He's got your sticks, you know, but then we go back to the States. We redeploy back to Garrison and that same guy that you could trust in combat. He's a guy that you couldn't trust to not get a DUI, to not go to the bar and get into a fight, to not beat his wife, to not do something stupid, right? And vice versa. There were guys back in the rear in Garrison that, you know, we had a sensitive items inventory or we had to do some sort of paperwork and I could trust that guy all day to get the job done, to above standard. But then we went to combat, you know, and we got hit by an IED, he, and we went to go attack the enemy, he's the guy that refused to get out of the Humvee. You know, like we couldn't, we couldn't trust them in combat. So my, my commander said, Jason, there are good officers and bad officers in the military, just as there are in the special forces. And there are good NCOs and bad NCOs. And what I'm telling you is don't blindly trust your NCOs. You know, that's, that's elementary school level leadership. I want you to get to know your NCOs individually, personally, find out who they are as, as people, find out what makes them tick and, you find out an individual, like for example, Mike Daniels, you trust Mike Daniels with, with these tasks, with these things. You don't trust Sergeant Daniels, you trust Mike. And eventually, you know, you'll learn to expand upon your trust and, and, and figure out where, uh, where they fall along the line of the trust spectrum. You know, shouldn't just follow somebody blindly because of their, their they've got a couple of chevrons and rockers on their uniform. Oh. You, know, you gotta get to know them individually. And only then can you can you really succeed. Now he caveated that by saying, when you go into your team, I want you to believe and blindly believe in all of them. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Jump off that cliff and say, listen, based on your background and what you've done, I'm going to believe in you guys. Now let's establish the relationship of trust by giving you actionable trust building activities, and we can prove to each other, not just a one way street. I prove to you just as much as you prove to me that we can trust each other by going through these experiences together. And, and that's how he explained it to me. And that's um, a, a big lesson that we train um, our, our corporate clients in. Well, it's a really neat lesson too, because, you know, talk about discomfort, everything that you were, you know, told and trained turned on its head, number one. And, and number two, and you can tell me if I'm wrong in this, but what I also heard was that uh, there are certain things that you trust people for and then certain things that you may not could be the same person tasked with a different thing but they're not built for that for that piece of it right is that fair that like you trust some people for some things and other people for others yeah you gotta trust but verify you know i hear a lot of folks who are like well i trust everybody right off the bat until they prove me otherwise <laughs> well if you do that with your life you're going to be leading a very difficult you know disappointing life you know, imagine going to the doctor and him saying, oh, you've got this fatal disease. And you're like, well, I guess that's true. You know, <laughs> go get a second opinion. You know, go find somebody else to tell right. you the same thing. You know, don't just trust this guy because of his, he's got a, you know, a, a DR and a period before his name. You know, find, you got you to gotta verify some stuff and you got to build that, that confidence in, in the trust 
through um, through actionable experiences over time. And then that's how you build trust. What a great example, though, that, like you said, when it's really important, like a life-altering disease or some other thing, that you never just take one opinion, right? That you're always looking to to verify, as you say, and I really like that idea. Or else you'll just be susceptible to con men your entire life, you know? Like, oh, he said that, you know, he's clearly knows what he's talking about. Well, does he? Does he know? <laughs> you know are you sure about that? <laughs> you know? Yeah, this whole concept of verify though, right? Like if it's people or ideas or anything else that that we should, and it, it makes sense. Like you said, if you rely so much on science now to help with your program, that that in itself is a discipline of verification, right? That you don't just take anything at face value, that you've actually got to uh, to do the science, uh, do the lessons, and like you said, earn the trust, right? Prove it. If there were a few things that you could suggest to business leaders that kind of get the idea of discomfort, but aren't really sure where to start. I know that in my own life that uh, whenever I start things, well, actually that's not true. Sometimes I dive uh, headlong in if it's something that I'm familiar with or comfortable with. At other times when I'm less comfortable, when I'm experiencing discomfort, um, I uh, prefer to have some baby steps to, to move along the way, right? So A, tell me if that's the wrong approach. Uh, or B, if that approach is okay, what kind of baby steps can businesses take uh, to start getting more comfortable with discomfort? It depends on the person, and, and that's a great question. So a lot of folks, um, NFL players that we work with, Major League Baseball players, corporate clients, you know, decision makers, C-suite level guys, um, I hear this a lot. They say, Jason, motivate me. I just need you to motivate me. You know, I, I know what to do. I More or less, I just need someone to kick me in the pants, and I tell them the same thing, like, I can't, I can't motivate you. I'm not going <laughs> to try. And they're always shocked by the answer. And they're like, well, what are you here for then? I said, well, the only thing I can do is really inspire you. I can plant that seed of inspiration so you can motivate yourself. Cause I'm not going to be here 24 seven. I'm not going to be there to hold your hand. I'm not going to wake you up in the morning. You know, you're going to be the guy that has to get one foot out of bed in the morning when it's hard and when, it, and when you're tired and when you don't want to do it. You have to do that yourself. What it comes down to is really the only true type of motivation is self-motivation. Because if you look at it, inspiration inspires motivation and motivation inspires action. And my catchphrase thing that I say all the time is do something about it. Do something. It doesn't matter what it is. You go to the gym in the morning or in the afternoon, whatever. A lot of times you're excited, you're ready to go, you're ready to hit those weights, you're ready to get on the treadmill, you're ready, you're, you're excited about it, and you can do it. We'll do it. That's fantastic. But other times, most of the time, I would say, and I'm including myself in this, I walk into the gym, I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. I'm tired today. My heart's not into it. I don't feel like doing this. Where do I start? And I start looking at my phone. I start looking at the workout program. I Maybe I'll Google something or maybe I'll answer a text message or I'll just procrastinate, whatever it is. You know what I do? I start doing something. I get on the elliptical and I don't go hard. I just go a little bit, you know, and I go for a couple of minutes and all of a sudden my body's moving and the juices are flowing. And all of a sudden I'm thinking to myself, I'm getting warmed up. I'm sweating a little bit. I pick up the pace and, and now all of a sudden I'm getting excited about my workout because I'm feeling it. I'm like, okay, I can do this. You know, so it's like I said before, inspiration, you know, um, leads to motivation, which leads to action, but also it's a circle. So action leads to inspiration as well. So if you don't feel like doing anything, do something. I don't care how half-assed it is. I don't care how little you want to do it. 
I don't care if it's just putting one foot in front of the other, do it. Do something actionable. And then in the course of that, you're going to inspire yourself, which will lead to your own self-motivation. And then it will lead to the, the outcome that's expected is a solid performance, an optimal performance by doing something actionable. So I love that whole idea of using that same kind of approach in business, right? Just do it. Um, I do want to spend a couple of minutes. We talked a, a little bit at, um, at the beginning, um, but you also have a charitable initiative uh, that you do. And I wonder if you could talk with me a little bit more about that and uh, maybe uh, to, to help, I guess, inspire, as you would say, uh, business owners, why should business owners also think about their own charitable, you know, initiatives giving back, right? I look at it like this. The, the purpose of life is to find your gift, whatever it might be. And the meaning of life is to give that gift away, you know? And when you look at it like that, there's a huge charitable component to that, that mindset. I created a nonprofit called Warrior Rising. Uh, my wife loved the name, and so we called it Warrior Rising. It's a veteran service organization, a 501c3 nonprofit, and we started it in 2015 um, to help veterans find their purpose through business ownership. And so we help veterans and their immediate family members, you know, start or accelerate their own businesses. And as we talked about earlier in the, in the show, it's something that I did. I started my own business, and I found an incredible um, – value and, and meaning from doing that. And I want others to feel the same way, to find um, find their purpose again through through doing that. And so uh, last year we raised about a million dollars. We helped uh, over 1,500 veterans, which is uh, which is great because in year one in 2015, we helped six and now wow. we're 1,500. Uh, things have pivoted, you know, we've adapted throughout the years. You know, um, in the beginning we gave everybody money like Oprah, you know, you get a check, you get a check. <laughs> and it was great. But what we found is that the people that we gave money to were, were unsuccessful. And we needed to give them the tools so that they could do it themselves. They didn't, they shouldn't rely on us to do the work for them. They shouldn't rely on us on Warrior Rising to give them money. You know, we're there for them as a tool, not, not as the carpenter, you know, but for corporate America, you know, um, you, you want to have some sort of give back program, find something that's meaningful to you. If it's veterans, awesome. Come to Warrior Rising or find another veteran service organization that you can attach yourselves to. If it's another cause you're passionate about, follow that other cause. You know, whatever it is that, that speaks to you, do that. You know, I only ask that the charity that you choose is something that helps someone help themselves, right? And I really truly believe that the only true charity is education because you're not going to be there 24 seven. You can only educate someone to help themselves. Just like we talked about earlier with inspiration and motivation. And so I would encourage anyone who wants to partner with or start a nonprofit to, to look at it that way. You can have an employee give back program, a matching program. There's a lot of things you can do that would uh, help your, uh, your culture, you know, and help your employees know that they're, they're part of an organization that does give back and does believe in certain things. And, uh, and you just need to explain why, uh, why you're doing it that way, you know, and, uh, and get people involved to know that their dollars are um, doing something. You know, a lot of nonprofits will take money and you're like, well, I gave money. What did it go to? I don't know. Did they help anybody? I don't know. Go look at the success stories. Go look at the results. And uh, like this, uh, like the organization that you formed, 
Um, so anyone can donate. Is that kind of the idea to to your organization, and then you'll you'll take care of it. So if I put a link in the in the description for the video, people can actually contribute. Is that is that right? Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. Well, WarriorRising.org is the website you can go to to learn more. And uh, folks that are interested, I ask them, you know, to give of their time, their talent, or their treasure. You know, we can't exist unless we have donations. And 85% of every dollar that we receive, it goes back to the veteran. You know, we do have some operating costs because uh, we can't run an all-volunteer organization and expect high quality. You know, we do have to have um, people, staff members that, that are professional, that are getting paid. You can be a mentor. You can be an intake specialist. You can volunteer for a fundraising event or a host of fundraising event. You can uh, submit an application to be one of our board members if you're interested in doing that as well. Uh, we're always looking for people that want to help, want to give back, corporations and foundations as well. So if that fits your, your description, please reach out to us. Well, that's great. So, so many ways to be able to help. Uh, we'll wrap things up now. And at this point uh, in the interview, it just really, um, if you had one piece of advice for, you know, for, uh, for dealers in my channel uh, looking to grow with uh, discomfort, what would that be? There's one piece of advice I give to you is if it ain't broke, break it and make it better. You know, most people tell you if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Go in the opposite direction. There's a way, there's a better way to do things. It's up to you to figure it out. Now do something about it. And so we come to the end of another exciting episode of Tiger Paw Radio. If you'd like to listen to more, please be sure to visit www.tigerpaw.com slash podcasts. You can also subscribe through your favorite podcast platforms to be sure you never miss another episode. And until next time, keep learning, keep growing, and keep that inner tiger strong.